Hi, my name is Richard Kaufman. I'm also known as the Comeback Coach. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Richard. Thank you for having me. So I know we talked a little bit before the recording started. You were having a good week. You're doing your lives. Yeah. Every Monday night. Every Monday night. It's called the Monday Night Comeback. And you've been yeah. interviewing people on Monday nights for how long now? Uh, it's over a year now. I think it's like, yeah, I got somewhere about maybe 50 interviews so far. But that's a lot of interviews under your belt. No, it's fun. I, I find it, it's, it's enjoyable because I like to go deep and I like to make people cry. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't say that, did I? <laughs> uh, but I like to go deep when I'm interviewing somebody. You know, I want them to get to, to know who the real person is not just a facade that you see when you're interviewing somebody. Yeah. Get to the, the heart of what drives them. I think we have that in common, you and I. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, people, they say that somebody might not remember your name, mm-hmm. but, but they'll always remember how you made them feel when they talk to you. Mm-hmm. So if, if I get that out of somebody and then it's all worth it. Well, you're known as the comeback coach. How did you, how did you uh, come to enter into that, to that name, the uh, comeback coach? Well, there's a couple of different things. Um, I've been through like three major things in my life. And then my job, I also have been in the health and fitness industry. I've realized it today, almost 40 years. And so I've helped people that are, you know, physically, you know, going through stuff. And I've also helped work with guys from like the WWE, uh, NFL, Major League Baseball, you know, come back from injuries or come back, stuff like that. And that's, and then one day I was on a podcast, my friend Donnie Boyvin, he has a podcast called Success, Success Champions. And I was telling him my backstory. And uh, he's like, man, you, you're like the comeback coach. I was like, oh, I like that. And so <laughs> that's where that all, that's where that all happened. And it stuck. Yeah, and it, um, you know, then after I met Gary V, and we were talking, and he's like, you know, whatever you do, you know, he's like, because I'm, I'm starting this, like you, you know, start a podcast, you're putting more money into it than you're making from it, you know, and, uh, and I said, Gary, I said, you know, give me one piece of free advice I could take, and he says, well, if you, whatever you do, if you put a hashtag behind it, people can always find out what you're doing in business. So I became, that's where I became the comeback coach, hashtag the comeback coach. And you have so. a t-shirt to prove it. Yep. And that. And, and the that. hat. Yep. So that's where it all started. And, you know, it's just, it just seems to be balling uh, as I get a little bit more, you know, more known, I guess, which I don't like know, being known, but I guess it's, you know, becoming in the veteran circle, become, you become an um, influencer or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And you are in the health and fitness 40 years you're in health and fitness. And so yeah. you have, you've been helping people make a comeback physically, but when did you start transitioning over for people to make a comeback emotionally and mentally? Well, I guess that's what we're going to have to uh, deep dive into the story uh, a little bit about where I come from. And I grew up, I grew up poor. Um, my father left when I was three months old. Um, left my mother with a newborn baby, a mortgage to pay, and, uh, you know, no food on the table. So she had to work. She was a working mother. Um, 
but she also became addicted at this time. She became an addict. Um, so we moved around a lot. My mother was a nurse, so she worked a lot of rotating shifts. I was babysat a lot. And uh, by the time I was like 10 or 11, we moved to like eight or nine different places. So I never made friends or anything like that. Um, first time I touched, tasted alcohol was on New Year's Eve. Uh, I had a drink with my cousins. And a year later, I was a full-blown alcoholic by the age of 13. Um, I find out later that I had a, a severe case of ADD. Um, and school and I didn't get along. So I, I dropped out when I, when I was 16. I became an emancipated minor. And I joined the military at 17, and I shipped probably a month or two after my uh, 17th birthday. Joined the military, um, found out I, I was getting paid to drink. Well, not that wasn't supposed to be how it worked, but that's how it did work. And I partied a lot, and then I found um, drugs. So between 17 and 19, I became an alcoholic and a drug addict. Um, I got thrown out of the military at the age of 19, um, came home, got thrown out of my parents. I got thrown out of a lot of places um, because of my attitude, my, my behavior. Because when I got home with my parents, you know, you know my, my dad, uh, he was a hardworking guy. You know, he got up at five o'clock in the morning, uh, worked two jobs at all times, six days a week. And here's, you know, me coming home and from the military, you know, thinking I could stay out till one or two o'clock in the morning, drinking and partying. And while well, he had to get up to work the next day. So they, they threw me out, which, you know, uh, at now at this age, I, I really understand it. Um, I lived in my car. Um, I actually got thrown out of a, a crack house. I'm probably going to be the only person you ever talk to that ever gets thrown out of a crack house. It's pretty hard to do, but I did it. Um, I talked my way back into the house. I promised my mother I'd go back to school. Um, little did she know that I went to school to be a bartender. So a drug addict, I mean, an alcoholic and a bartender wasn't a great mix. Uh, graduated with honors. Uh, first job I got, my friend was, I had a friend that was a police officer. He owned a bar in Newark, New Jersey, around where I live. Um, hired me for New Year's Eve. This was 1988. And, uh, Drinks were going good. You know, I started drinking. Uh, eight hours later, I get a knock on the door. It's him and his buddies um, coming to lock me up because I gave away like $2,000 worth of free drinks. And I had like $5,000 in cash in my pocket. And he uh, read me rights. And they, they said I was looking at five years for grand larceny. I was looking at actual prison time. But um, I've always had somebody in my life, whether I've wanted them to or not, that has always stood in the gap for me. And that's a big thing for me. And the funny thing is the guy that saved my ass that day was the same police officer that I robbed. He says, you know, you're too young to go to jail. You're 20 years old. Um, you have to get the money by the end of the day, which I borrowed from my aunt, my uncle, my parents. And you have to go to 90 meetings in 90 days in AA. And I hit something like 300, 300 meetings in a row. Um, and I've been clean ever since January 1989, January 2nd, 89. 
So it's been like, it's going on 30, 31 years this January. And that was a turning point for you. Is that when life started to change? Oh, hell no. It got, it got worse. It got uh, worse. It got worse, yeah. Um, I quit drinking. Uh, I, you know, I stopped drinking and drugging. Still had a bad attitude. You know, I was still a punk. Um, I rejoined the military for a second time. I think it was like 90 or 91. Um, and I stayed in the Pennsylvania National Guard. And I moved to South Carolina in 99. And I joined the South Carolina National Guard. Now, I still had an attitude. Um, and down there, you know, if you're from up north, you're not like to begin with. And then if you have an attitude, you're not, you're, it's even worse. And um, I was about to be thrown out the military for a second time um, at the end of September of uh, 2001. And this is where my, my life really started to change. Um, that Tuesday morning, um, I woke up and um, turned on the TV and I see the planes hitting the towers on September 11th. Now, like where I'm sitting at now in my house, if I went onto my porch, you can actually see uh, where the, the Twin Towers once stood. You know, being from New Jersey, you know, everybody knew somebody that knew somebody. And uh, for something, I, I tell everybody, every interview I do, uh, something broke in me. Uh, I became a broken man that day. Um, here I am in the military, you know, enjoying life, having fun, taking everything for granted. And then there's some mother took her kids to school that day. And two hours later, she's jumping out of the, the jumping out of the towers and holding her skirt, skirt down so nobody sees her panties and tries to be respectable before she hits the ground. And there was nothing I can do to help anybody at that point. There's nothing I can do to help anybody. So I just, you know, I prayed to God at that, that moment. I said, Lord, I said, I know I'm going to be thrown out. <clears throat> if uh, any way I, you can give me a, it's like a 500th chance. It's not even a second chance. You know, give me a second chance to, uh, I will dedicate the rest of my life and my career to helping people that can help themselves. And the next day I went to my company commander, my first, first sergeant, and I begged them. And they must have seen something changing to me. They gave me a second chance. Um, I did over 20 years in the military, uh, became soldier of the year, became a non-commissioned officer. And that's, uh, that's, the sec that's the second part of my story. I want to know what you think it was that, that broke in you. I've been given a second chance, you know, and um, I didn't take pride in my uniform. I didn't take pride in my job. And then there were people that went to the Pentagon that day and didn't come home. And, you know, and I just thought, you know, it's like, wow, you know, uh, I, just, I took everything for granted. Mm. And after that day, it's like I decided, you know, I'm not, I'm not taking – you know, anything for granted. I'm going to start trying to, you know, live for other people. When did that shift into something larger into making a legacy for you? Um, 
Well, there was a couple of things. When I, when I said, when I, when I moved to New Jersey, um, met my beautiful wife. Uh, I now have a beautiful wife. I've got three beautiful children. Um, my wife saved my life. I would tell her, you know, my wife, she's got my blind side, literally, you know, she's always got my blind side. She's my best friend. Um, and the first weekend I was actually on um, active duty here. I was um, going down for our annual training or two weeks and a vehicle broke down and I was uh, had to stop and try to pull it off the road. And there was a young private driving. And uh, usually I never wore my helmet. I think maybe twice out of my whole career I wore my helmet. For this day, I wore it for some reason. Um, and I was backing up the vehicle, and instead of him hitting the brakes, he hit the gas, and he ran over the whole right side of my body and ran over my head. And about two hours later, my eyesight and my left eye started going. And by the end of uh, the two weeks, I was almost totally blind in my left eye. I was told, well, Sergeant Kaufman, since you can't shoot, uh, we can't keep you. So now this whole persona I built, I'm back to being Richard Kaufman. And I had to decide, you know, who is Richard Kaufman? And, you know, that, that's when I got into a deep, dark depression. Mm. And um, I didn't drink over it. You know, I didn't drug over it. But then I decided, well, you know, I come back from everything else. So this is just something else I got to come back from. I got on a podcast with Donnie. But he told me, you know, he's like, there's so many fitness guys out there in his world. There are a dime a dozen on, on Instagram. They're everywhere. He says, but, you know, somebody like you that's come back from a drug addiction, the alcoholism, the homelessness, there's a lot of veterans and first responders and people that are going through that. They need to hear your story so they can realize that, you know, you can come back, you know. And so that's where it all just started. And it just started snowballing with the live show and then – with the book that came out and then doing uh, special events and going talking on stages. That, that time period before you, you went on that podcast and, and you were reading all of those self-help books and trying to find that direction. What was that time like for you? Uh, well, this time after I got hurt, what kept me going is I have two beautiful boys. I got a 17-year-old. I got a 14-year-old. And I had a brand new baby girl. You know, when I got hurt, she was uh, six months old. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I couldn't quit. You know, you can't just quit when you have a wife and you got kids and you got a mortgage. And you, so I had to do something. And then I started looking through my past and remembering there was a bunch of men in my life that if I would have listened to them, I would have been much better off. But they would have been in good influencers if I would have let them be. So I kind of reached back into the past and reunited some relationships with some uncles and stuff like that. When did you get into health and fitness? When I went to basic training, I couldn't even do a push-up. I couldn't do a sit-up. When everybody else was out doing their things, I would be doing extra push-ups, extra sit-ups, trying to eat more at the chow hall. And then I started reading books and magazines by Arnold Schwarzenegger and all those guys. And that's, And I just fell in love with superheroes and I fell in love with bodybuilders and it was just something I just had a passion for you know ever you know 17 years old so when you were trying to navigate 
coming out of the military and, and reinvent and find your new path. Uh, was health and fitness a natural path for you? Is that something you already knew you were going to go into? Or how did that come about to be a business for you? After I got hurt, it's kind of like I lost my mission. And But then after, two, you know, two years ago, when I first got on that podcast, and I started thinking, wow, this could be my next, this could be my mission. It's different when you're trying to help somebody overcome from trauma. You know, because you can, you can overcome, for, you can overcome, let's say, the Tor ACL, you know, or, you know, torn meniscus. You know, it's like, but how do you help somebody come back that's come back from uh, trauma or drug addiction? Uh, my goal is to save a million lives. Uh, don't know how it's going to happen, but, you know, I'm, I, I'm in charge of the work and he's in charge of the results. You know, everybody has something that they're going through. And 80% of the people probably aren't talking about because there's a shame. You know, things happen for you. They don't happen to you. So, you know, like we talked about the last time, you know, when you asked me why am I, don't I get feel down and depressed about things? You know, why me? Why me? Why not me? You know, just something else to come back from. You know, it's all it is going to be another challenge. You know, one day you're at the highs of high. And then, you know, next day you're at the low of low. Sometimes you think, you know, is it really worth it all? But then when you hear that a guy was about to blow his brains out and had the gun in his hand and the pistol in his mouth, and he heard your, your podcast and he decided to go get help, and you hear stuff like that, then you know, well, okay, it's worth it. You're on the right path. Yeah, exactly. Yep. What's the name of your book? A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Now, I know um, a lot of people probably don't even know who this guy is, but the original Superman is the one that wrote the foreword. Not the foreword. He wrote the opening quote to my book. Well, let me sound stupid. Hopefully I'm not. The original Superman, Christopher Reeves. Yes. And I talk, I, yes. Yeah. And <laughs> um, I, I, I talked to his wife. And she let me use the opening quote for the book. You have to tell me how you even have contact information for Christopher Reeves and family to write your foreword. Well, um, like, remember I was about this hat that you're supposed <laughs> to ask me about. I am. Um, I am. <laughs> um, sometimes, I mean, I... I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but sometimes, excuse my language, but your balls have to be bigger than your brain sometimes. So why not reach out to people? What's the worst they can do is say no. And I was reading something about heroes and the quote came up from the Chris, Christopher uh, Reeve Foundation. So I wrote to the Christopher Reeve Foundation and they, but I was like shocked when they wrote me back. I didn't think it was going to happen. Wow. And so what I'm hearing in, in making a legacy, the ingredients to make a legacy is that you have to own your story. You have to know your story um, because it's not about the amount of hardship or pain that someone's been through, but you have to know your story. Um, you have to build your community up. And 
the purpose needs to be meet the driving force. Your, your purpose has to drive you because when you hit a low day, it's that community and purpose that you fall back on. And um, as you put it, you have to have big balls at times. Well, I mean, like, you know, like, like today or not today, uh, a couple of days ago, I didn't know the officer, but you might have heard it on the news. One of our local Jersey City police officers got gunned down. And uh, he had uh, a wife and five children. And they, they did the think for him last night. And, uh, but when, it, when I hear stories like that, to know that, you know, their family's going to be going through the stuff. You know, his partner is going to be going through the post-traumatic stress disorder. Everybody that came to his rescue is going to come to have, have some kind of form of something you know, mm-hmm. that those people are going to need somebody to talk to. So it's kind of like, um, like on my Facebook feed, I get notified when anybody, any soldiers commit suicide every day. So it's kind of like I get, I see it every single day. So it's, it seems like it's never, um, it's never too far away. All I have to do is, you know, click on, you know, get on Facebook and I'll see, you know, well, this soldier died of suicide today. So it's, it's, it's never, it's never out of reach. Hmm. So it's kind of like, you know, you can't, the only time I do take off from social media as much as I can is on Sundays. That's family day. You know, that's spend time with the wife and the kids. But other than that, you know, six days a week, I'm on the grind. Mm-hmm. And you're but trying find, to prevent you know, that next yeah. alert coming through. Yeah. One less death today. You know, so if I can do that, just say one life a day, then I think, uh, and I think the world can you know, be a better place. Yeah. And you're building a, a force to do this because like you said, in your community, you, you rely on them and they rely on you. Um, and you have a tight knit group. And one of the things that I, cause we were talking about the vet tribe. One of the things um, that I really like observing in there is the support that everyone has for each other in their endeavors. And no, no. your your logo and your hat that you wear in every single podcast was actually made by a Vet Tribe member. That was JD Tierney from Southpaw Laser Concepts. And even the guy even the logo was made by a veteran. His name is Bear. Bear Oso. He actually made my my, my logo. Uh, the reason why I do wear a hat on all my lives and my podcasts um, is there was a gentleman called Chris Kyle, the mm-hmm. American sniper. And uh, when he passed away and I decided I want to honor him in some way, I actually got in touch with the family and asked if it was right. If every time I went on his show, if I would mention Chris and what he did and how he gave his life to save somebody with post-traumatic stress. So that's why I wear a hat on every live and every podcast or I will not do the show. So just wanted to keep throwing. Has anyone ever turned that request down? Yep. And I did not go on the show. Yep. And I didn't go on the show. That's interesting to me. Like, well, we can't see your eyes. I'm like, my eyes aren't that pretty. So (laughs) don't worry about my eyes. And I only got one. So that's interesting. 
Yeah, one time. But uh, yeah, it just happened once. But you know, normally once I tell tell everybody about that, they're like, "Wow, that's pretty cool." I was like, "It's you know, because Chris, you know, cause sometimes over time people get forgotten, mm. and I don't want him to be forgotten." That's probably a very impactful, the most impactful sentence I've heard. Um, because I think that even if we don't admit it to ourselves, I think that's a fear that everyone has. Are you worried about being forgotten? I think so. Um, but now I'm sure that I won't be. Because um, of the legacy you're building? For, yeah. And, you know, but now it's kind of like, like my father passed 12, 12, 12. You know, like I can't go back and read his book. I can't go back and see, you know, like if my daughter, you know, or my grandkids, they can go back and see all my videos on Facebook. You know, they can see my book. They can go read my book. They can go to all the podcasts and listen to me. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like, you know, I mean, I'll be gone, but I'll still be here. And you'll you still know, be then, teaching. And, yeah, and, and, you know, then hopefully, you know, you know, people that I've helped along the way, you know, they'll say, you know, that guy, Rich, you know, he, he really took care of me. He was a real friend, you know, like Kurt and, you know, Mark, you know, people like that. You know, none of us are getting out of here alive. Jim Morrison said it. Nobody's getting out of here alive. So, you know, you just have to kind of make, try to make your mark in a positive sense and, you know, try to leave a positive le legacy instead of a negative. Because you can either give a um, a generational blessing or you could give generational curses. So it's going to be up to you to change your family, whether it's a, a generational blessing or it's a generational curse. It's very, you're very authentic. <laughs> I got, I, when I met, when I went up to DC and I, I told the guys that when I get there, you're all getting hugs, all of you. And these are guys who are like, you know, some guys are like Navy SEALs and stuff. They're like, no way. And I went up and I hugged them all. And because uh, I was like, that's who I am. You know, that's the guy. I'm, just, I'm the same goofy guy in here. I'm going to be out there. And I got a, a, a message like a week later. One of the guys I met there said, you know what, Rich? He says, I've never been hugged as a man by another man. And I was like, wow, that, you know, that's crazy how you can affect somebody like that. He said, you know, that's the biggest thing is I want to be authentic. I want to be real. Mm -hmm. You know, I have. are. You uh, naturally are. I don't know any other way because I was such an asshole before and I don't want to be that anymore. So I figured, you know, if I put it all out there, you know, then I don't have to live up to anything. Was that part of the reason why you wrote? your book uh yeah i mean i think okay i was on again i was on donnie's podcast and we were talking and then the next day i got offered to go on another podcast and i don't remember who it was um and he says he, he's like dude you have so much to talk about and i'm like yeah i'm like but i didn't i don't know if it's gonna do anything for anybody he says, I want you to go watch the, uh, that movie, Eight Mile, with Eminem. And I was like, okay. He's like, I want you to watch the last two minutes. And then I want you to call me tomorrow. So I, I watched it, and I called him back, and I'm like, okay. I've seen the movie a hundred times. What are you talking about? He says, well, if you write 
a book and put all the grimy stuff that you've ever done out there, nobody could ever say a negative thing about you again. You know, somebody can say, okay, you were a drug addict. Okay, but I'm not a drug addict anymore. You know, you, you, you went through, you know, you're an alcoholic, you were homeless. Yeah, but I got a beautiful wife and I got beautiful children. I live in a beautiful home. What can anybody say about me that I haven't said about myself already? So it was kind of uh, cathartic, you know, it was just, it was freedom. Because once mm -hmm. I put it out there, it's like, okay, you know, I could start the next, I could start the next chapter of my life. And, and I've had people, and people that read it, they're like, it sounds so, re you know, it's like when I read the book, it sounded like you were speaking from the pages because I didn't have it edited. I was just, whatever I wrote is what I wrote. I, I mean, I have so many errors. I have so many misspellings and mispronunciations. But when people read it, they're like, it took me like a half hour to like, but I was enthralled. I was amazed. And they say, but it sounds just like your voice coming from that book. I guess because I didn't have any ghostwriters. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just, it was just, you know, who I am. And, you know, so I think the best thing is to be authentic in life. It's your and, story and, it, and your work. But now I'm going to tell you, in the tribe, there are some people, they are not authentic. They're full of BS. Yes, but you are yeah. authentic. And I'm curious, yeah. by writing that book and getting that freedom, did that give you the freedom to be authentic? I mean, you well, just ripped off the Band-Aid. You're like, well, I've got... Who else am I going to be but me? You already know yeah. everything. Yep. And I mean, the big thing about writing the book was um, I had to go back and talk to some people from my past, like, you know, my, my mother, my aunt, and some, you know, and because uh, a lot of times I was too drunk to remember things, mm -hmm. you know, so I had to do a lot of self-reflection and having to humble myself, you know, going back and apologizing for all this, a lot of the stupid shit that I did, you know? And I think that once you become, I, I say this all the time, you know, self-awareness is an MFR. It's once you become self-aware, you know, it's kind of like, um, you, you have to watch, you know, even if you are authentic, you really have to watch what you say, you know, because now people are watching. You know, like, like I have like 5,000 friends on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So if I start posting political stuff, either this way or that way, you're going to piss off 2,500 people. Right. You know, see, so you have to like just be really self-aware, you know, the things you think about, you know, things you talk about, you know, mm -hmm. the people you hang around with and associate with. So that's when I really started becoming more self-aware of, you know, you know, like if somebody sees me being, you know, nice you know, on camera, and then I'm out, and they see me out there with my wife and my kids, and I'm treating them like crap. That's not good. You know, you got to be the same way, you know, either one way or the other. So right. it's kind of like, you know, but self aware when you come self aware, you got to think, you know, am I doing the right thing by my wife? Am I doing the right thing by my family? Because that's what comes first. You know, family's first, every family's always first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if, you know, if I, if I could, leave that legacy as my wife and my kids and then I can do everything for the rest of the world. But if I'm not, if I'm not good, if I'm not right at home, then it's not going to translate out there. How exhausting do you think it is for those out there that 
haven't taken accountability. I mean, you don't have to write a book and get all the negative stuff out there, but you have to always be accountable. So when it comes up or comes back, you're, you're accountable and you're, you're accepting of it. Um, that self-awareness and that feeds into your character and your authenticity. How exhausting is it? And how are you ever going to build a legacy if you're always worried about the facade? But it's, it's, it's not exhausting because it's not my fault. So, well, no, it's I mean, what I'm not, saying, if the person walks around and says, well, it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. How can I don't feel bad about anything? It's somebody no, else's no, no, fault. No, 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 I meant, I meant the person that's having to maintain the facade. They're not going to actually get their legacy built because they can't actually build it. All, they have to worry about their appearance and, and all of that because they're not owning they're not doing what you do. Well, unfortunately, I, I'm all, you know, like, like somebody asked me today, you know, did I, before I started doing all this, did I have any experience in writing a book? And I was like, no, I just had to live through the experience. <laughs> you know, I didn't have the experience. I just had to live through it. But a, a lot of people, some people have just grown up to where, you know, everything's fine and hunky and dory and, and they're okay with not worrying about a legacy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Some people, you know, that's just, it's not me, you know, it's, so it's, it's, you know, some, some people might, they might just think, you know, I'm okay. I just go to work. I come home. I'm going to die. And yeah. then, you know, so, you know, but that's, I decided, you know, that's not because I, when I first started out, I was the black sheep. So I wanted to leave a horrible legacy. So now I switched and, you know, now I want to leave a good legacy, you know, for my, hopefully my daughter can, you know, when she picks a husband, she'll pick a hu husband, you know, that that's caring and loving and, you know, chronic crazy like her old man. Well, you've definitely taken steps, especially in the last couple of years, um, to, to really concreting and building that legacy so that you can build it tall and, and strong. One um, day at a time, like the drunks say, one day at a time. And you're taking your live interview, your live shows on Monday. You're going to be streaming to audio. You're going to yep. do your podcast. And I have a producer. Um, my friend Chris Ripka is going to be doing the producing for the show. And he's going to help me do all the techie stuff that I'm not good at. So he's going to be doing all that stuff. Um, hopefully, I'm going to be having guests like yourself come on and... Uh, then hopefully going to be going to different events and talking to, you know, talking at, at different events that are talking about resilience and stuff like that. Cause it's not just veterans or first responders that are struggling. It's everybody struggling. And I, I want to be that everybody guy. I'm the, I want to be the every man, you know, the, the guy that'll stand in the gap for somebody. Cause you've had several stuff that stand in the yeah. gap for you. Yeah. And you know, I want to be that relatable guy. You know, because like some guys that you meet, you know, that they're, you know, like, I don't know, like, I can't say, like, there's certain people that I know that they seem so prim and proper that it's like you can't just picture yourself sitting down and having dinner and having a Coke with them, you know, because yeah. they seem too, they're too rigid, you know, mm -hmm. and I want to be that guy to where you be able to just sit down and just shoot the shit, yeah. you know, to be relatable. Because people, you know, if you, if you let people in, people will, will tell you their problems mm -hmm. if you let them in. But if, you're, if your guard's up, you know, that's going to keep their guard up and you're not going to get anywhere. 
Yeah. And if you're in the business of helping people, it's not, you got to be able to let them get their guard down. So you have a, I mean, you have a book out, um, a hero's journey from darkness to light. Where can people find that? Uh, It's on Amazon Kindle. Um, it's only 99 cents and the, the money that is used is actually goes to a foundation called joint task force 22 to zero, which helps veterans and first responders that are struggling with suicide. So the, all the money, hundred percent of the money goes to them. I don't even see it. Wow. And you're starting a podcast. Do you, does it have a name yet? Is it just going to be uh, the comeback coach? No, it's, it's not even going to be the comeback coach. It's just going to be, um, uh, it's called success. How your why powers your how. Um, what else do you have planned for 2020? Hopefully my son's going to uh, start college in September. So I'm kind of excited about that. He's going to start on his journey, his own journey. And uh, hopefully I get a couple good, big speaking engagements. Um, I, I've been talking to a couple people. Um, I got invited down to go, um, hang out with Ed Milet for a three day weekend last month, but I, I, I couldn't get down there down in, down in uh, South Carolina. So that was pretty cool to be able to get invited to hang. There was only 20 of us that got invited down. So that was cool. Yeah. So just eventually being able to, I want to hit probably a hundred different podcasts probably, and maybe like three or four different stages to talk. That's the goal. It's a good so, goal. Yeah. And, People you know, will be like lucky it, to have you. Well, you know, the worst case scenario is I'm doing what I'm doing right now. And um, I'm blessed the life that I live. You know, like I said, I I say it all the time. I got a beautiful wife, three beautiful children. Um, I have my own house. Um, So even if this this is it, then I've made it. I've succeeded. From where I've come from, I've succeeded. So I've won already. Everything else is just, because I never thought I'd make it to 30 years old. So this is all just, you know, gravy. Wow. You know, you, you give a lot of inspiration. I'd been looking forward all week to, to recording this interview with you. Oh, like, I don't know how I can compete with Kurt. You know, Kurt's a legend. <laughs> so, yeah, how, could I, how could I compete with the Woodmaster himself? That, all of you, all of you and your stories, um, the stories, but the common thread that all of you have and the resilience, what you were speaking to, the resilience that um, all of you practice and unselfishness, you are always there to what do you need? I mean, I, I hear that question, what, 20, 30 times throughout the community that we're in. What do you need? What do you need help with? How can I help? And it's, pretty amazing that because well, so. because it's uh, we're we all raised our hand mm-hmm. no matter what army navy air force whatever you know how much we break break each other's chops and pick on each other we've all raised our hand mm-hmm. you know like i was 17 years old when i had to raise my hand and, and i had to sign away my life insurance at 17 so we, we've all been taking that So once you've raised your hand, it puts you in a totally different community. Yeah. Well, we all understand us raising that hand. Yeah. Well, I have to say 
I am very honored that you've agreed to sit down with me and, and talk with me and, and share your story. And I look forward to airing this and promoing you. Oh, me too. Just remember, hashtag the comeback coach. Hashtag the comeback coach. That's important. Hashtag. That's it. Because that way, that gets on everything I do. My Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, everything. It goes to all my social media. Got it. And where can people find you? So it's... it's, Uh, They can either hashtag the comeback coach or they could just look up Richard Cuff. And I'll show up everywhere. And you'll show up everywhere. I'll show up everywhere. (laughs) I'll I'll do my best. You're like Batman. (laughs) Just send out a signal. (laughs) Exactly. Send out the hashtag. (laughs) Well, I'll let you get back to your night. Thank you so very much for sitting down with me. I hope it was an enjoyable experience for you. And um, yeah, this was fun. Thank you guys so much. And please just remember that everybody loves a comeback story. And yours is next. Love it.